Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Normally we'd have like a fun thing. Like a bit. Mm-hmm. Like a whole little back and forth where we pretend like we're going to talk, like we pretend like we're going to talk about something else or like you just kind of happen to walk into our living room to overhear yeah. us discussing something Maybe unrelated. I'd do like a fun accent. Like I'd be like, Zutalo! Like that kind of thing. That's Justin's favorite thing to say in an accent. Uh, I see I do that in the we have books about that French giraffe Sophie I do anyway this doesn't matter no because um, we're not going to do a bit this time no we're not going to pretend like you wandered into a, like our crazy conversation about how Justin thinks he's sick or um, you know us talking about Charlie or something like that yeah uh, we're going to talk about uh, um, gunshot wounds on this episode uh, because it has become a pressing topic I would say in the in the world. I think that um, because this is actually isn't something I looked back isn't something that anybody has asked me to specifically cover before. At least not they? in our email. <laughs> why would they? This show is supposed to be fun. It is um, now, and I will say that you're going to get your your usual your usual uh, kind of goofy sawbones stuff here. I'm we'll not. This is, there's no exception when we're talking about the treatment of wounds in general throughout history i think you can imagine we've put some weird stuff on wounds and i have all that gooey gory detail for you that you enjoy but i i think it's fair to say this is a little more of um more of a serious topic you know you have two options you can either uh like try to have a little bit of fun or just like screaming mortal mortal terror 24 hours a day uh, so it's like, and that's, so those are the two options and we are trying to take option one, uh, because option, nobody will buy ads on option two, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is the, which is the podcast Justin's going to do next. Cause you know, that's what we do basically all day. Yeah. It's just kind of, Justin comes up with new podcasts to do, but it's going to be him just screaming just in mortal terror in panic. for like. What are you doing? Like thirty? Is that a thirty well, minute or a, is that going to be more 20. of a sixty? Start with a tight twenty. Okay, a tight twenty minute. Now, do, do you think any of our sponsors will be interested? Uh, you know what? I think I can get them for at least a couple months, just based on the McElroy brand, <laughs> the beloved McElroy brand. Are, are you going to get any? Your, are you going to get a brother in on this, or is this a solo? No, it's is a solo mesh. Okay, solo mesh. Awesome. Um, Sid, uh, where where does this where does this start? Take take me back. So I know the Chinese invented uh, gunpowder, right? 
That's absolutely right. For um, fireworks, right? Yes. And they're yeah. like, wait a minute, what if we put a bullet in here? <laughs> Hachi machi, this is a good idea. Is it? Ouch, said Daniel. Um, I don't agree. I think this is a bad idea. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do this, please. <laughs> no, absolutely. You're right that uh, the Chinese had been using um, the like explosions, you know, the use of, of gunpowder to propel rockets or fireworks uh, for for a long time before we started thinking about making weapons out of them. Um, and they were used, it was used first for like cannons and like big, large artillery kind of guns before we moved towards like handheld guns. There were like hand cannons that were used in some parts of China and that kind of thing, but not um, a very efficient kind of what we would think of today as like a gun, so to speak, okay. yeah. until later in, in the 1200s, really. And we see a really good description of one that actually was written not in China by Sir Roger Bacon in 1242, which is where you really describe like the concept of using like a small explosion, like a small amount of like an explosive powder to propel uh, a, a small object at someone very quickly, mm-hmm. which is like the most roundabout scientific way I can say of like shooting somebody. It sounds like the uh, the explanation that Charlie's grandpa gives him in Charlie the Chocolate Factory. He says, remember how you asked me how a bullet comes out of a gun? <laughs> and then it's like that's not it at all. Like that's <laughs> no, not actually that's not, it no, doesn't, you like don't put a chubby German boy into a tube full of chocolate. That's not how guns no, work. No, it doesn't work from like chocolate pressure. No, there's no chocolate pressure involved. No, I'm not going to be talking a lot about the gun mechanics, but I, I think that's it, that's not how they work. No. Um, I wish they involved chocolate. I'd probably like That'd them. That'd be more. a lot better, yeah. Um, initially, these attempts to make guns were much more likely to cause injury to the person attempting to shoot the gun uh, because, you know, it was like a, supposed to be a small controlled explosion and that doesn't always go so well sure, when right. you don't know exactly what you're doing. It wasn't until the 1400s in the War of the Roses that we start to see artillery really playing a major role in warfare and i'm going to talk a lot about this in like a sequence of wars and battles um and that should probably make sense to you because Mm -hmm. that's when we have like large collections of data on gun injuries and gunshot wounds and like surgeons who are trying to treat it and constantly um changing and adapting because they have lots of patients unfortunately so i'm going to be kind of skipping war to war but that's that's the history of guns that's the history of gsws that's the history of gunshot wounds okay um, so guns became more portable at this point so they could be carried into battle so they became a lot more important for winning at this oh, point right um, and so what follows guns becoming uh, more widely used is uh, the first mention of treating wounds from guns you know that's that's why surgeons started talking about it right right because they had yeah because they had to because it happened um, at first there's uh, no specific treatment uh, that anybody they just kind of acknowledge like there were there are already these concepts that they would draw of the wounded man which was like this figure that uh, that would be common for surgeons of the day to have and it was like a naked guy standing there with like arrows and spears like sticking out of various parts of his body yeah and then like little descriptions of what each of these wounds I are bet that's and, probably a, a few album covers by now when you when you think you would think right probably and like initially it didn't have um artillery wounds or bullet wounds in it because there weren't um and so we see that kind of join the picture in 1497 when you first see artillery wounds pop up on the wounded man. A German mm-hmm. surgeon sh- surgeon added them. 
Um, and even then we see like a distinct difference in the way that surgeons are approaching a bullet wound or an artillery wound as mm -hmm. opposed to uh, like a knife wound or a spear wound or an arrow wound or whatever other wound. Oh well, yeah, I mean you would think there's a difference in velocity. There's burns to consider, I would imagine. Exactly. Now they they didn't they didn't quite understand all these things obviously at the time. Like not why everybody they were... has my medical acumen. No, <laughs> thank goodness that you know some of us have more. Uh, but at the at the time they just knew that bullet wounds were were different that like a knife wound or an arrow wound was cutting is what they would have described it and they thought that it was pretty straightforward if you get like shot with an arrow it either kills you right away or you're probably going to heal all right on your own <laughs> yeah well it's e yes it's either going to cut something really important or it's not <sighs> um medicine <laughs> artillery wounds were much more complicated because what they found is that they can be lacerating they can be cutting but they can also be contusing meaning they cause bruising and damage to the surrounding tissues like a, a contusion is a bruise mm -hmm. and they are also penetrating so they go much deeper because of the velocity and everything than than a lot of these uh than a lot like an arrow or something necessarily would um so they can sever important structures damage organs but they can also damage all the tissue around the path. Mm -hmm. Plus they go, like I said, they go deeper. And as they do, they can carry what was called at the time poison along. What did it, what was it really? It's infection. Okay. And they were worried about infection. But um, but they note that almost every single time somebody would get wounded by a bullet or, or artillery, they would get, um, they would have pus come from it, which was their way of saying that it was infected, although they didn't use, they didn't know that's what it meant. Mm -hmm. But they would say, ah, oh, anytime you're going to see pus because Is that just it's poisonous. It's deeper or harder to treat or? As the, well, as the bullet passed through outer layers of, t of uh, like clothes and mm -hmm. skin and everything, it know. just carried germs. You just I think, mean, and that's then. That's how dumb I am. I just would assume germs that get like knocked off because it's going so fast. No. No, no, they no. don't. Well, it carries them all deeper. Plus, you got to consider um, the bullet wound itself is, is likely dirty. Mm -hmm. But then, like what we would do to it afterwards, right? It's a I'm big part of the problem. Gnarly, gnarly attempts there. So let, let's talk about what we were going to do to these, and this will give you a good a good reason why if the gun wound wasn't what they again were referring to as poisonous, a right. poisonous wound. It took a long time, by the way, for us to get rid of the idea that wounds were poisonous. Um, it was it was like throughout the writings for hundreds of years that uh, gun wounds are of course are poisonous. Well, no, they're not. They're infected. But uh, so what you could do is take a hot seton, so like a like a metal, like a rod, mm -hmm. like a hot like branding iron kind of like looking thing. Right? Yeah, and you would drive it in and out of the gun wound. Just until they died and so they didn't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> what you were trying to do was force the gunpowder out because the belief was that the, it was the gunpowder that was still in the tissue that was poisonous that was causing all of the pus and odor and everything that's, which was actually infected. That's obviously wrong, but I bet, I mean, wouldn't it help somewhat because of cauterization? It, yes. I mean, yes, driving, yes, you would, you know, cauterize the wound and maybe stop bleeding. Um, but you're also, again, sticking something that, well, part of it is hot. Not all of it is. Part of it is just like cold and germy. Dirty. Dirty. Um, and you're damaging all the tissue around it. Sure. Probably. Right. Um, and you're doing it for an indetermined time to force powder out, which isn't necessary, of course. Right. Uh, and then what followed that was just as bad. You would plug the wound with lint that was moistened with like bacon or <laughs> ox grease. Just like <laughs> they sat around and was like, what was the, what's the worst thing you guys think we could do? Let's start there and build up. 
Like <laughs> we could jam hey, we could jam full of grease and dirt and lint. Yeah, man, it seems pretty good. Let's start there. Well, Let's go up. And the and the great thing was they had all kinds of alternatives. If you didn't want to do grease, you could try melted butter, you could do barley water, you could try uh, water with earthworms mushed up in it. <laughs> That was a very popular... Earthworms play a big role here. Um, The important thing about all these different substances that you're going to pour in your... your bo- your gunshot wound mm-hmm. is uh, that it's boiling hot. That's the main sure. thing you want to make Super sure. Painful. Whatever it is, is that it's boiling hot. Um, and then you're going to cover it with rose oil, camphor, and turpentine. Now, if the bullet is still in there, because this is for a wound that the bullet is not there anymore, because mm-hmm. you, you cannot leave the bullet in. That was the, uh, the understanding at this time. And this kind of waxes and wanes throughout history, whether or not you can leave bullets in, which now we know... You, there are people who have like you can see on x-rays and stuff little bits of shrapnel and stuff inside so we don't always necessarily go in and dig every teeny little bit of everything out like buckshot can't get an mri though Uh, yes that is true that is very true you hesitated Uh, uh, mris are a lot trickier because it depends on exactly the kind of generally yes generally speaking you can't get an mri that's better let's just go with that yeah it's it there's a lot more to do with like metals and magnetism when it comes to mris but generally speaking you can't um but at the time you were definitely going to try to get the bullet out so if the wound was not open far enough for you to just kind of pick it out you would either open it up further by cutting and these were techniques that they'd actually already developed from arrows so a lot of this they would just be like in the book it would say like refer to arrows here <laughs> and then they'll tell you how to take the bullet out mm, that'd be early in the book in terms of a arrows <laughs> arrows okay so you would either cut the wound open further to dig the bullet out or what you would do is just keep stuffing dry packing into the wound perfect because it is as it absorbed like all the liquid like the blood and the stuff Mm -hmm. in there it's going to expand and like open the wound up further great and then you can just kind of get some you can get some bullet forceps and and, yeah um and that led to the invention of new forceps bullets did well that's uh, finally something good from guns (laughs) we well we had to have new forceps to grab the bullets great um one thing I, i did read that it was important at the time that you wanted the patient to stand in the same position uh that he or she was in when they got shot while you were extracting the bullet I, I don't know so it was an easier like a straight like so you were kind of in like a hunched over or were you like springing up with your arms up in the air with like a like a ah expression ah. on your face like just do that hold still just wait i'm gonna dig a bullet out of you and then pour some hot grease in it hold just still hang, hang in there for me um, in 1552, a big advance was made by Alfonso Ferrio, who was a surgeon who uh, started to use some ligature, like tying off blood vessels to stop bleeding, mm-hmm. which is crazy because he wasn't always clear on the difference between arteries and veins. Cool. So how he figured, I mean, it's without the no, that knowledge of the circulatory system, it's, it's amazing, but it did move the field forward somewhat. He also advocated that instead of at the time you would sound for bullets, what is like that mean? try to use like a sounding to like what is what are you talking about like you would like 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 looking for like using a divination rod i think to so find like water? sounding for bullets yeah oh and he kind of advocated you just kind of like dig around with your fingers sure get in there more, it's probably like, like pretend better. you're at a haunted house you're digging through a bowl full of spaghetti <laughs> and eyeballs he actually created a tool for it that he called an alfonsium his name is Alfonso, mm-hmm. which is my favorite surgical tool. I yeah. don't think we use an Alfonsium anymore to my knowledge. No. But the Alfonsium, uh, I, I finally found a picture of it. And it kind of reminded me of like a really fancy like claw machine. Mm. 
like you would like kind of it was like three fingers on like a spring and you would like stick it in and then like clamp it around something and drag it back out great okay got it um he also advised like warm oil and vinegar baths he said some good stuff like immobilize if it's around a joint immobilize the wound massage it do slow range of motion so he had some good ideas um but but on the flip side he also said that um at the at the time and this would have been all throughout probably most of what we're going to talk about you would also bleed the patient sure so they've come in they've had a bullet wound they've probably lost a lot of blood part of your treatment is definitely going to be cutting them and bleeding them or putting some leeches on them and bleeding them at some point he did advocate waiting three days before you do it though like let them level out that's first. good and then get in there just get all that bad bad blood, bullet blood right out <laughs> Um, now, we've talked about Ambrose Pere before, a uh, famous, fr- famous French surgeon, and he definitely, I mean, he, he advanced the field of surgery in a lot of different ways, um, but definitely for bullet wounds as well. Uh, he actually kind of did it accidentally. He was using hot oil in the wounds, as was the fashion, as we discussed, um, but one night he ran out. Mm. So he had to just use what he had. So he started using what was described as a digestive, which like I thought of, I thought of like the biscuit. Digestive biscuits. Yeah. yeah. But it's not. Not that. No, it's a mixture of rose oil and egg yolk and turpentine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he used that in the wounds instead of the hot oil. And he found that the patients, that those patients did better. The ones with the rose oil, egg yolk and turpentine did better than the oily ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so somehow this advanced the field i think the the main thing is that he started to move us away from the idea that things were poisoned hey it's pretty impressive though he actually did like scientific testing don't see a lot of that this time period no that's true he compared the two he actually like laid awake all night worrying about them and dreaming that all the patients that he used the digestive on were going to die and then he came in the next morning and wrote that it was all different like everybody with the digestive did better it's like pouring boiling oil on somebody who's got a gunshot wound is a bad idea yes uh, but he did he did figure out better ways to remove bullets, um, better ways to close wounds, what wounds you should leave open and let heal by secondary intention because mm-hmm. they were infected. And although we didn't know that, but he, he figured out some good stuff about tying off blood vessels. Really smart guy. Again, though, all these really smart guys who do some good stuff. There's like these weird little facts. Like one thing about Pere is that his digestive ointment was based on a secret antidote that he obtained, a recipe that he obtained from an Italian surgeon in Turin. And he writes about this encounter where he traveled to find this like famed Italian surgeon who had this like amazing ointment that was perfect for any wound, but hopefully for gunshot wounds. And this is this is what he says he did. He, he went to him and the surgeon said, here's what I need you to do. Go out and find me two puppies one pound of earthworms, two pounds of oil of the lily, six ounces of Venetian turpentine, and one ounce of brandy. Like, that's just horse apples. It's and just and I'm assuming apples. like a Holocaust cloak, too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so, once he... That's a Princess Bride reference, by the way. Not a, a Holocaust reference, if you're not familiar. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's from the Princess Bride. Yeah, it's a you cloak know, that you can set on fire. Yeah. It's, a, it's, yeah. Not, a, it's not like a cape that Hitler wore. Don't, no. No, just uh, okay. And also, if you didn't get that, stop listening to our podcast immediately, and please go read the Princess Bride, and then you can watch it too. Yeah, just but watch please, the movie, you'll get no, it. read the book. <laughs> anyway, uh, so he he went and he found all these ingredients, ingredients, um, and he brought them back to the surgeon who unfortunately boiled the 
dogs in oil. Accidentally. Accidentally. Uh, he added the earthworms that he did take the trouble of killing beforehand by putting the pound of earthworms in white wine because it was thought that it would kill them and then also make them expel the earth. <laughs> that was in so them. just to be clear, he gave a humane death to the earthworms, boiled the puppies alive in oil. Yeah. Cool dude. Cool dude. Pere. Not our best example, really. Not our best Well, it wasn't Pere. It was his hero, this Italian surgeon who is nameless in the literature. So he didn't but also follow this crazy concoction? His was not identical to this. No, not at all. I, um, I bet if you're going to fudge one thing, I know which one it's going to be. He, he didn't. Because at this point, once you've got like the puppy and earthworm and wine mix, you're going to strain it through a towel and then toss in some turpentine and brandy, which I assumed at this point was just a drink, <laughs> like right, just to like, deal with the I whole do. thing. And then you've got this ointment. His was similar, I guess, in the sense that it had turpentine in it, but uh, he didn't do all that other stuff. Thank, it's also thank not goodness. much brandy. It's like an eighth of a cup. It's, like, it's not a lot of brandy. Well, that's more for drinking to deal with like the reality of what you've just done. Uh, I, I want to hear more about all this, Sydney, but um, we uh, have to take a quick break. And so we're going to do that uh, right now. Is that okay? Sure. Let's go to the building department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com sawbones50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to... Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool... Think of it as the palette. The palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the... Easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support 
and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So in... 1718, a big improvement um, in the treatment of gunshot wounds is when the, a German surgeon, Heister, comes up with the tourniquet, which, how is that related to a gunshot wound? Well, up to this point, um, it, it's it's crazy because I would try to find these old manuals on treatment for gunshot wounds, like these old like like war surgery manuals. And I kept thinking I clicked on the wrong link because they would just be these huge excellent like these huge descriptions of amputation, field amputation, and it's because that was largely what happened. Like mm-hmm. you got shot in the leg or the arm and we just cut the limb off because otherwise you were gonna die. The tourniquet helps to save your life. Um now eventually you do get amputated, but you don't have to do it in the field necessarily. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a misconception I think a lot of people like have about tourniquets. I know I certainly did before like before you like told me about them at some point like i kind of assumed they were like a there's something you gotta take pretty seriously you gotta be really sure it's tourniquet time right exactly you don't want to just willy-nilly throw on a tourniquet because when you are using a tourniquet you are saying whatever is happening is life-threatening um to the person and so i'm willing to risk losing this limb in order to save this person's life it is literally only used in life or limb we actually if you use a tourniquet in the field one thing we advocate like if you're out in a at a site somewhere on the side of the road or out in the wild somewhere where like you're not going to be maybe in direct contact with the hospital just yet if you put a tourniquet on a patient you write a t on their forehead it's a quick way of communicating to the people in the er wherever they end up like this patient has a tourniquet somewhere strip them down and look for it because the sooner they can get it off the more likely they are to save the limb Hmm. um that's a side note cool tattoo idea (laughs) not really no don't no don't please don't do that please don't do that um other improvements in the 1700s include uh, understanding that bullet wounds also cause, and we kind of knew that they were different wounds, but uh, that we start to understand that they cause crush injury to the surrounding tissue because of like the air compression. Mm. Um, and so we then we start to better understand like head injuries and, and intracranial hemorrhage and stuff that results from bullet wounds from like just the velocity and like the air pressure from the bullet moving, not just the actual physical bullet itself. Um, in the late 1700s and, and like the War of 1812, we start to see um, improvements just because like of improvements in our uh, frontline like surgery efforts. Like we see stretcher brigades to get uh, wounded men off the field faster so we can care for their bullet wounds quicker. We see uh, surgeons move to the front line to, you know, take care of the damage quicker. Um, and in the 1800s, we get uh, some better guidelines for like uh, when a bullet wounded extremity is going to be amputated, how you do it, you know, and um, then Lister comes along and we get like antiseptic theory. And so then we're not doing it in such a, such a sloppy, um, dirty fashion, so to speak, you know. And so then that greatly improves um, the mortality from a bullet wound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's like I said, I'm kind of just moving war by war because this is really where we, we learned a lot about bullet wounds. In World sure, War One. Right. Uh, we... Uh, or start out by um, irrigating the wounds daily with like a chlorinated solution, which sounds like a good idea, right? 
Like it sounds good. You're cleaning mm-hmm. it out, right? But the problem is that you're opening the wound daily in order to do so. Ah, right. And so while you're, yes, the instinctually that sounds good, right? Keep it fresh, aired out, that kind of thing. It was a move in the right direction, but at the same time, you you don't want to continue to just like reopen a wound. Um, right, expose the it natural to stuff. healing can't take place. Right, and you're also exposing this wound to whatever is on the person's hands or sure. the sheets or the you know whatever. So uh, a surgeon went at or came up with a new method, the, the or method that involved um, debriding the wound. Uh, then you pack it with a Vaseline gauze and then you put a cast on it and you leave the cast on. This is true until the smell gets so bad you can't bear it. And then you take the cast and change oh. it out and change out the dressing. <laughs> What a metric. Um, in in World War II, we actually get a lot better at handling um, bullet wounds because we start doing a lot of research into this is this is even this is sad to say we start doing a lot of research into which weapons will create the most damage to the other side. Great. And in researching how best to hurt somebody, that's always been my problem with guns. Right, is that they don't damage just, people enough. Yeah, they just don't hurt people enough. Um, it was actually, it was it was filed under a branch of underwater ballistics because, um, here's a fact for you, uh, a, a bullet hitting a body, the body sort of reacts like liquid does when a missile is, is hitting it and moving through it. Hmm. So if you want to think about that. Great. Um, and and we start to learn that like there's the cutting of the tissue by the bullet and stuff that we had already kind of understood, but like as we get a better understanding of physics, we we in like ballistics we know a little better is that there are shock waves that damage the surrounding tissue. This is crazy. So we know that like there is clearly there's a cavity formed by the path of a bullet, right? right. Like there's the hole that it makes and then the the tunnel that it travels through. There is actually a temporary cavity. What do you mean? Uh, from the shock waves. Hmm. stuff is spread out and there is a temporary hole cavity that is formed inside the body that is 27 times larger than the permanent cavity that what? remains so there is like it, you can do these like still motion photographs of the of the bullet entering and like what happens after that i mean they did this again with like water and liquids and stuff like that to try to figure out how it works and like everything spreads out really far from the shock waves and then comes back together but that helps us to understand all the bleeding that happens because it's not just the path of the bullet where the bleeding is happening it's all the damaged tissue around it right and so we start learning that like all that damaged tissue while it's bleeding if we can go in and stop the bleeding all that tissue is salvageable Mm. So we can clean out the like the bad stuff, get the bullet out, clean the wound right away and all and stop that bleeding and all that tissue will actually it'll be okay. So it kind of helped us figure out why everything was such a mess and what we could do to stop um, losing so much tissue from a bullet wound okay. and, and you know, stop bleeding. And then, of course, uh, in World War Two, you know, in the 40s, we see antibiotics hit the scene. Penicillin comes around and this hugely reduces the rate of like chronic bone infections from bullet wounds and that kind of stuff. Um, by Vietnam, we were much better at figuring out how to reconstruct blood vessels, which made amputation no longer the main the main treatment for right. for a bullet wound. Um, and nowadays, you know, I could go into there's endless things that you could say about how good we are at stopping bleeding at, at ligating you know blood vessels and reconstructing blood vessels at cleaning out wounds and keeping things clean and antibiotics and antiseptic technique we're good at removing bullets and preventing infection and limb loss we surgery we can do now because we can put people to sleep and intubate them and support them until they get better and so you know we're really good at treating 
gunshot wounds as long as they make it to our ER. We're really good at that now. We have lots of ways of doing it. Um, but I would propose the best treatment for a gunshot wound would be to stop shooting each other. That would be my main idea. Well. I mean, I could tell you a million ways uh, to kind of like take care of yourself when you got, if you get the flu, you know, how to treat yourself and like make yourself better quicker and then that kind of thing. But what I would probably tell you is to get a flu vaccine. There is no gunshot wound vaccine that I can promote for you. Um, if there, if there is one, uh, I would say, I would say this, because if you've been listening to a lot of the talk about gun violence that's on TV right now, um, then you've probably heard something about a lack of research we have into gun violence. Have you heard anything about this, Justin? Is this something yeah, that you're familiar with? But it's, uh, yes, I, I am. And not just because you've uh, mentioned it to me in passing. The, the uh, lobby groups have basically uh, lobbied to stop looking into gun violence. So that, that's exactly right. In the 80s and 90s, we were doing, and I like to think about things in a scientific way. So this is me approaching, there is a problem um, in the U.S. with people dying as a result of guns. And so let's look at a scientific way to stop so many people from dying uh, from gunshot wounds. Um, in the 80s and 90s, we were doing a lot of research and making a lot of progress to try to figure out if we were going to pass laws to try to prevent gun deaths, what would they look like? What mm -hmm. would actually work? Because let's not just do it willy-nilly because we're angry or we're scared or we're sad. Let's do it, do things that work. Mm -hmm. And we found some upsetting facts. For instance, um, there was a study in the 90s that showed that having a gun in your home increases the likelihood that you will die from a violent death. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more likely to kill you, a family member, or be used in a suicide than it is to defend you from somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, but lobby groups, the NRA in particular, did not like the results of these research. Uh, so they started um, pushing Congress to ban any kind of research. The, the wording is that any research that might advocate gun control. Um, and they actually defunded the CDC to the exact tune of the amount of money that they had spent on uh, firearm injury research the previous year. Hmm. Uh, and all other government organizations have met a similar fate, so nobody's doing this research right now, um, compounded with the fact that the assault weapons ban ended in 2004, and other little laws, like, for instance, in some states, do you know that I, as a doctor, could not ask you, for instance, as Charlie's dad, I couldn't say, hey, uh, Mr. McElroy, do you have a gun in your home mm -hmm. to talk to you about the importance of discussing gun safety and that kind of thing with your child? I would not be allowed to ask you that question because it would be a violation of your privacy. Now, I consider that part of my job as a doctor to kids because mm -hmm. I do take care of kids. Yeah. Um, but there are some states where I would not be allowed to ask you that question. Um, and what I would say is that if you want to know, if you're feeling helpless and you're feeling scared and you want to know something we, we could do, that would be the thing to push for. Instead of let's just pushing for um, stricter gun laws that probably is the answer, but which gun laws? Somebody needs to write them, somebody needs to word them. I would say that we need to look at this scientifically. Right, we're not, I mean, we're not advocating anything other than let's get some more information. It's a science podcast, right? Yes, it is a science podcast, um, but I, my job, uh, one of my jobs as a physician is to put injured people back together. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see a lot fewer injured people, personally, 
Um, and I think that there is an impetus on us as humans to figure out why so many people are getting shot in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and and do something to stop it. All I'd add, because you've spoken about it very eloquently, all I'd add is that I don't, I, I'm not in a position to tell anybody how we can rewrite gun laws in this country to make it safer to to live and raise kids and stuff. I'm not that smart. But I do know that there is a very powerful group that has worked really hard to stop people from even talking about it. And when you get to that point, even if you do think people should be allowed to own guns, if a group is trying really hard to keep people quiet and to keep people from asking questions, that's got to raise your... uh, I mean, that's going to set off alarm bells for you, no matter what you believe. At least that's what I think. If if you're if you're an honest person, um, then you should want there to be light shown on stuff. And the only reason we have made advancements like we have in medicine is because we've shown the light on this stuff. And if you think that like an issue this serious couldn't benefit from that, and if you think that um, it's worth supporting a group that's trying to keep us from doing that, then I really don't know what to tell you. That's where I'm at. So that was our that was our really heavy, serious Happy Holidays <laughs> Christmas Happy Podcast. Holidays. Uh yeah. So anyway Sorry. Um, I, I'm sorry, Justin. Sometimes I can't keep my mouth shut. Well I the, just well, can't well the little I woman can't help someday, myself. <laughs> someday you'll learn your place. <laughs> Etc. Etc. The kitchen. Etc. Etc. I learned to kidding. defer to you, your your man, your protector, your guardian. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this has been our show. Um, thanks to Taxpayer Street. Let us use their song "Medicines" as the intro of our program. Thank you, to Maximum Fun Network, for uh, letting us be a part of their uh, their their family of podcasts. Uh, you find a lot of great shows. At MaximumFun.org. Uh, listen. We are doing a uh, my my other podcast with my brother my brother and me. We do kind of a, uh, an annual charity drive to help out people here in the Mountain State in West Virginia, where Sydney and I live, and where uh, all of us uh, hail from. Uh, we're trying to basically get some stuff for people who don't have a lot this holiday season. And uh, if that's something that you'd like to be involved with, if you could kick in a couple bucks or what have you, um, you can get all the information on that uh, on the My Brother, My Brother Me Facebook group. Uh, uh, we'll actually post it on the Sawbones group if we haven't already. You can also go to mbmbam.tumblr.com and uh, find out how to help there. We sure appreciate it. Also, we're doing a show um, with My Brother, My Brother and Me on December 21st at 8 p.m. here in Huntington. Um Tickets are like 20 bucks, I think. And if you want to get tickets to that, it's going to be a lot of fun. You can go to candlenights.net and uh, and get the, the tickets for that. Or candlenights.org if you want to treat it like a, like a charitable <laughs> organization. That option is open to you as well. Anyway, uh, that's and good. I, and I really would, I would say, Justin, just to back up your point, I really would check out, as Justin said, um, the Empty Stockings group. The, the, the boys have, you know, helped to fill... A lot of people's needs in this area at this time of year um, because you're working with local organizations. So like the stuff that you're donating, it's going, I mean, you are answering people's like direct needs. That's going right to people. You're really helping like on a one-on-one yeah. level. It's a really cool thing that you don't always get an opportunity to do. Uh, it's fantastic. So go go take part in that. And uh, Sid, that's going to do it for us. 
Uh, until next Wednesday, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't throw a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.